You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet The Firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So welcome back to the first and inshallah ta'ala tonight we're going to be talking about a man subhanallah who um, you know you may have heard me say this in a different setting but he's actually the first person I ever gave a halaqa about and it is Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu and there's a special connection that I, I feel to Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. You know, I remember thinking about the way that Khulafa al-Rashidin are talked about, are spoken about, and Uthman radiallahu anhu kind of gets lost, right? Uh, you have Abu Bakr and Umar and Ali, and sometimes Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu gets lost in there and is really not given his due right in terms of the honor that's due to him, the love that is due to him, and uh, the way that you know, he contributed to Islam in such a beautiful way. Now, obviously, when we're talking about Khulafa al-Rashidin, uh, we can't do a full biography of them in this particular series, but we're talking about them in regards to how they come into Islam and really building out the story of the first, the people to come around the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uh, as this mission was developing around the Prophet So there's a focus on that, so it's not going to be a full seerah of Uthman anhu through his Khilafah, but still, just like we did with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Ali anhu, we'll talk about some of the qualities of them after we talk about their uh, initial coming into Islam and what they meant for the story of Islam in the very beginning. So Uthman ibn Affan anhu, his name is Uthman ibn Affan ibn Abil As ibn Umayyah. So he's from another powerful tribe, well-known tribe, Banu Umayyah. And his lineage uh, is like the Prophet ﷺ from Abdi Manaf, or all the way to, to Abdi Manaf. Um, so once you get to Abdi Manaf, Ibn Qusay, Ibn Kilab, then that's where you find the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ and Uthman who actually uh, meet. His mother is uh, very interesting because she uh, she is not as well known of a figure, but she connects Uthman anhu to the Prophet in a very unique way. So his mother's name was Arwa bint Qurayz, and the mother of Arwa bint Qurayz was Umm Hakim bint Abdul Muttalib. So the maternal grandmother of Uthman anhu is Umm Hakim al Bayla bint Abdul Muttalib, and she was the full sister of Abdullah the father of the Prophet And in fact, some narrations even say they were twins. So his grandmother is the full sister, maybe even the twin sister of the father of the Prophet which makes him the second cousin of the Prophet as well. So that family connection between Uthman and the Prophet is not very well known. Now his father passed away in Jahiliyyah. His father passed away in the days of ignorance, which is uh, part of the reason why he had such a fortune to work with, he inherited a large amount of money from his father. His mother, on the other hand, would become Muslim and would live all the way until his Khilafah and would die uh, during his Khilafah uh, and he would lead the prayer on her. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them both. Before Islam, people used to call him by the kunya of Abu Amr 
And this was, uh, you know, in anticipation of the child that he would one day have, but he did not have any children before Islam. So we're going to talk about, you know, Uthman in regards to his marriage and in regards to his family life, which exists entirely after the mission of the Prophet begins. He was about six years younger than the Prophet He was born in Ta'if. And when you talk about his physical features, it sounds like you're talking about the Prophet Okay, so the way he's described, he was neither short nor was he tall. He, was, uh, he had big bones, broad shoulders. His skin was softer than silk. He had a huge thick beard. He had um, hair that came right below his ears. He had a strikingly handsome face. He had a small gap between his teeth. His teeth were the whitest of white. And he was the most handsome of people. And he had the most beautiful of faces. And what's what's uh, narrated about him is that if your gaze landed on Uthman anhu, you would not want to look away because of the amount of jamal, the amount of beauty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in him. When he spoke, he spoke eloquently and beautifully. And there are narrations from the likes of Abdul Rahman ibn Hazm who says that I never saw a man more handsome than Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, who does he look like most? He looks like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Okay, so his qualities, his characteristics, his physical uh, resemblance is like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi And there are a few sahaba uh, that have that resemblance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But even the way that the Prophet would describe Uthman to his daughter Ruqayya, that there is no person that resembles your father Muhammad or your husband Uthman like Ibrahim your grandfather Ibrahim So Ibrahim looked like the Prophet or rather the Prophet looked like Ibrahim and Uthman looked like the Prophet uh, as well. So he resembles the Prophet ﷺ. physically. He is an extremely handsome person, very soft uh, spoken, um, very, uh, you know, uh, very pleasant to look at, very pleasant when he speaks. And he's very rich and very powerful as well, but not powerful in the sense of arrogance. And perhaps what's most endearing about Uthman in that sense is that he has this quality of haya, this quality of modesty that, you know, usually does not coincide with the circumstances of Uthman Okay, so think about it. He's from this powerful tribe of Banu Umayyah. Uh, in fact, his brother, uh, through his mother, uh, was Al-Walid ibn Uqba ibn Abi Mu'it. Al-Walid ibn Uqba ibn Abi Mu'it. Um, and we know who these people are. Walid ibn Uqba ibn Abi Mu'it uh, you know, his father was uh, was well known for his torture of the Prophet ﷺ, the one who poured guts on the Prophet ﷺ and collapsed his back and mocked him along with Abu Jahl. So he comes from that family and he has a lot of people around him that are very proud and very arrogant, but he's not proud and arrogant. He's richer than all of them. He's more handsome than all of them. Yet what is he known for? He's known for his haya. He's known for his modesty, his shyness, his bashfulness. And the Prophet ﷺ, of course, said that every deen has a quality, every deen has a khuluq, 
Every religion has a characteristic quality. The quality of Islam is haya, is modesty. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that haya is from iman, haya is from faith. So the more that a person has haya, the more they have faith. And this is something that we see with Uthman anhu, that despite his beauty, despite his wealth, despite his prominence, despite all of these things, he's known not for, uh, not for anything more so than his quality of modesty his quality of uh, haya, his quality of modesty. This nobility plays out in many different ways uh, in terms of his modesty. And the people loved him because of his accessibility, because of his modesty, despite those things. And, and everyone respected him. The poor person respected him. The rich person respected him. The person from a prominent tribe respected him. The person who had no tribe respected him because of the character that he had radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu also despite all of that, uh, never prostrated, never made sujood to an idol in jahiliyyah, never committed zina in jahiliyyah, never committed adultery. He never drank alcohol before Islam. SubhanAllah, he had all of these qualities before Islam, refused to, to uh, worship the idols, refused to um, commit zina, commit adultery, despite his uh, handsomeness, anhu, did not engage in any form of fornication or adultery, um, refused to drink alcohol because he said alcohol destroys reason and reason is a gift from God. So he would not drink alcohol even before the prohibition of alcohol. Uh, he would not look at the aura of a person. He would not look at a person's nakedness even before Islam. Now remember, people used to do tawaf without clothes before Islam in the days of Jahli and Uthman anhu said that I never looked at a awra before or after Islam. He would not engage in the partying of Quraysh or the songs and the entertainment um, of Quraysh. So he would refrain from all of those things. And he said he has no interest in them whatsoever. So subhanAllah, not only does he resemble the Prophet SallAllahu in, in, in his looks, but also in his character because if I did not say the name of Uthman anhu, so much of what I just described describes the Prophet وسلم, the refusal to engage in any form of immorality, the shyness, the bashfulness that he had anhu. Um, and of course, this was also a quality of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq right? Some of these qualities were also qualities of Abu Bakr. Uh, anhu. He was well versed, he was poetic, he knew uh, the lineage of the Arabs, um, he knew history. He was well-traveled, so he used to travel to Syria, uh, to Asham. He traveled to Abyssinia, to Habasha, uh, even before Islam, which is important because we'll talk about that. He learned their lives. He learned about their, their customs. He was successful in his trade routes. He had traveled to Yemen. He had traveled all over the world as a businessman before Islam. And when he used to come back from his trade routes, uh, he used to always uh, give charity to uh, the people of Mecca. So Uthman who never returned from a trade route. All of this is before Islam, never returned from a trade route, except that the people of Mecca would feel the generosity of Uthman uh, anhu. And so you're talking about all of the good qualities. And because of those good qualities, he earned the love of his people and the respect of his people to the point that a mother would say to her child the very famous words, I love you by the most merciful, the way that Quraysh loves Uthman. A mother tells her child that I love you the way that Quraysh 
loves Uthman, <laughs> to express the highest level of love to her child. And so he, he truly has it all, radiallahu uh, ta'ala anhu. And this, this speaks to the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that people are like precious stones, khiyarakum fil jahriya, khiyarakum fil islam. The best of you in the days of ignorance are the best of you in Islam if you have knowledge. Ida faqihu. And Uthman anhu already had all of these akhlaq, all of these attributes and characteristics of Islam before he heard the message of the Prophet. Um, he inherited from his father, according to some narrations, over 30 million dirhams. So uh, this is a man anhu, that was focused on his business focused on being a merchant. And, uh, you know, it seems like, and Allah knows best, that he did not get married before Islam. So there is, uh, you know, there, there are some indications that maybe he did, but it doesn't seem like he had any marriages prior to Islam. So he was busy in his business, busy in, in, his, in, his, uh, in his trade. And of course, as we said, well-loved by his people, known for his hayat, known for his modesty, known for his, his, uh, his beauty both in terms of his outside and his internal being radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So what happened? How does a man like this, um, you know, become amongst the first to accept Islam? How does he come into the story of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the way that uh, the others have uh, come into the story of the Prophet sallallahu Usually a person who has the most to lose, right? The most to lose would hesitate when the message of the Prophet ﷺ would come. Uthman is different from all of the rest, right? He would not hesitate when he heard of the message of the Prophet ﷺ. He was out on a trade route uh, to Asham, to Syria. And according to a narration of Tabaqat ibn Sa'id, he actually uh, said that on his way back, um, or you know that that he he had a dream. He went to sleep and he had a dream on his way back from Asham, and in that dream it was said uh, to the sleepers, to those that were asleep, to get up. قد خرج أحمد في مكة. Ahmad has come out in Mecca. Ahmad has appeared in Mecca. Has emerged in Mecca. So Uthman radiAllahu ta'ala anhu said that he he had this dream, and when they got back to Mecca, then uh, he heard that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had called to Islam, and right away. Um, Uthman would accept the message of Islam. Who would invite him to Islam? And this is, of course, something to think about. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Abu Bakr did not just, as we said when we were talking about him, embrace Islam, but he immediately became the ultimate ambassador of Islam. He immediately went and started bringing in some of the luminaries of Islam. And so the ajr, of Uthman All the good that Uthman is going to do is to the credit of Abu Bakr. All the good that Abdurrahman ibn Auf is going to do is to the credit of Abu Bakr. All the good of Talha and Zubair is to the credit of Abu Bakr. Can you imagine if you just took uh, Uthman and Abdurrahman ibn Auf and all of the charity that they have done, some of which we benefit from till today. Like we're not even gonna talk about their contributions to the making of the story of Islam, but if we just took the sadaqah, of Abu Bakr, Uthman ibn Auf, and all of that is to the credit 
of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu because he was the one that called these luminaries to Islam. And he knew how to approach them because Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was of the same class as Uthman radiallahu anhu, not as wealthy as him, but Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is a man who is known for his nobility, who is known for his qualities that the Prophet sallallahu is known by as well, does not worship idols, does not drink alcohol, uh, shuns some of the practices of the Arabs at the time, of Quraysh at the time, to focus on uh, things that were of more importance, was known for his benevolence, and so on and so forth. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes to Uthman radiallahu anhu as he returns back from Asham and he invites him to Islam. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu immediately goes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and embraces Islam. And he is, according to Ibn Ishaq, the fourth male to accept Islam. So he is the first person after uh, Abu Bakr, Ali, and Zayd ibn Haritha. May Allah be pleased with them all. The fourth man to accept Islam, according to these narrations, is Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, they say that he even became Muslim before Dar al-Arqam. Before uh, Dar al-Arqam, the Prophet وسلم, went to Dar al-Arqam and started to teach the companions of the Prophet uh, So SubhanAllah, despite all of the implications of his Islam, he didn't think about it. And wealth, you know, is, is what, uh, you know, a lot of people see in Uthman right, is his wealth. It's not just the tribe and what his tribe is going to think, but wealth, his money. And Uthman knows very well, he's a smart man, that he can go from being the most beloved of people to the most hated of people very quickly. But that's not going to stop him from accepting the message of the Prophet as articulated to him initially by Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. So he embraces Islam. And when he embraces Islam, uh, as we said early on that the powerful people in Mecca were tortured by their tribes privately. They tend to be tortured privately. It's not that they weren't tortured, but they were tortured by their pro by, by their uh, tribes privately because the tribes wanted to save face even as they wanted to deter their own from becoming Muslim. So he was taken by Al-Hakam ibn Abi al-As who would, who would torture him uh, you know, with all sorts of torture and tell him to leave Islam, tell him to give up the companionship of the Prophet and Uthman would respond and he would say, I will never give up Islam and I will never part ways from Muhammad And so it was a routine type of torture that would come towards Uthman And Al-Hakam basically gave up when he saw that Uthman was not going to, to, to give up this message. It's not that Uthman was a, uh, a political person. He wasn't someone that used to get involved in some of the tribal affairs uh, of Quraysh or, or from Banu Umayyah in specific. He didn't used to get involved in many things. He was just known for his nobility, for his richness, for his, his beauty, for his eloquence, for these types of things, for his modesty. But of course, coming from a tribe like Banu Umayyah and someone who's that well loved, you know, someone who's that well loved, if people find out he becomes Muslim, uh, then that's going to naturally lead people to become Muslim. What happens to that child that grew up hearing, I love you the way Quraysh loves Uthman and looks up to Uthman عنه, for his qualities. And now they know that Uthman is Muslim. So the threat of Uthman عنه, was not like the threat of Umar ibn Khattab or, or, or some of the more powerful people uh, that would give that strength to Islam. The threat was how beloved he was and how much he was worth, right, primarily. 
um, you know, uh, to that society and what the, what the implications of Islam uh, would be. So anyway, he, he underwent torture privately the way that Abu Bakr al-Siddiq would undergo torture privately. And he goes on to, uh, you know, to, to support the Prophet in any way that he could, playing really a, a, a different role, right? Not, not doing some of the things that, uh, again, we'll see from some of the, the physically more, more powerful people or those that were more political at the time, but supporting the Prophet as he could, and of course, uh, accompanying the Prophet in Dar al-Arqam. And there is something to be said about the morale of the companions when you walk into Dar al-Arqam and you see that the Prophet is sitting with this diverse group of people across class, across you know all of these different levels and, and demarcations in society, and you see the people that are well loved, and they're sitting to the, with the Prophet and listening to the Prophet teach them the Quran. Now, we mentioned last time. I'm talking about Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, that she was already married uh, before uh, Islam. You have Ruqayya and Umm Kulthum, who we mentioned, were uh, married, but they had not consummated the marriage yet, to the children of Abu Lahab. And when Abu Lahab curses the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and seeks to punish the Prophet sallallahu in every way, Abu Lahab orders his two sons to divorce the two daughters of the Prophet So Ruqayya and Umm Kulthum are uh, their engagement, if you will, because of course, as we said, they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. Their engagement is broken off by the children of Abu Lahab. And look how beautiful the replacement is uh, for Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha. It doesn't get better than, uh, than, than, than this, right? So Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, of course, um, you know, was was hurt obviously by what had happened. But as soon as this had happened, Uthman anhu, who we said again, there's nothing to to really solidify that he'd ever been married before, comes to propose to Ruqayya. And what a gift, right? Man taraka shay'an lillah, min. Whoever leaves something for Allah, Allah will give them something better. You go from the son of Abu Lahab to Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the most beloved, the most beautiful, the, the, most, the most wealthy, the most noble man uh, known to Quraysh. And he comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to propose uh, to, uh, to Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And of course, the Prophet sallallahu and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anhu were ecstatic, right? You don't get a better suitor for your child, for your daughter than Uthman radiallahu anhu. And Ruqayya was, ecstat- was ecstatic as well. And subhanAllah, we find that uh, when Ruqayya was getting married to Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he came to Ruqayya and he said to Ruqayya, uh, Oh my daughter, take good care of Abu Abdullah. So his kunya would change from Abu Amr to Abu Abdullah. Take care of Abu Abdullah. فَإِنَّهُ أَشْبَهُ أَصْحَابِي بِخُلُقًا he, For he is the closest of my companions to me in his character. Remember, the Prophet was known for his shyness and his modesty, his haya. And as we said, all these qualities are present in Uthman anhu. And the Prophet is saying, he is the most, uh, the closest of my companions to me in regards to his akhlaq, in regards to his character. So take good care of him, my daughter. And subhanAllah, we find that these two, uh, this couple, 
became the most blessed couple known uh, known to the people. Uthman radiallahu anhu and Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, they're the best looking couple, they're the most beloved couple, they are uh, they are in love with one another. And so the ihsan, the character, the quality uh, that Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was most beloved uh, to the people for, look at how he's bringing that to his house. And we're going to talk about this later on as well. What makes these people so blessed is that they were not just loved or they were not loved by the people for qualities that they used to display out of fame or out of some sort of, of, of desire for social status. But those qualities were even more prominent when they were in their homes. So all of these wonderful qualities that Uthman anhu was known for, he brings it to his home as well. And he showers Ruqayya anha, the daughter of none other than the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with those beautiful qualities and those beautiful characteristics. Now, the torture uh, of Uthman anhu, as we said, was taking place privately. And Uthman anhu, strategically, there are some reasons that the scholars mentioned that, uh, that strategically it would be beneficial for Uthman anhu to be amongst those that would migrate to Abyssinia, that would migrate to Habasha. So you're not going to see Uthman anhu play much of a role in Meccan Sirah, in the early Mecca Sirah, because he is amongst those that would migrate to Abyssinia. As we said, he has been to Abyssinia uh, you know, on trade routes before. He knows the people of Abyssinia. He knows the land of Abyssinia. He knows the culture and customs of Abyssinia. There's also something to be said about the Prophet ﷺ dispatching his own daughter to be amongst those that migrate. So there's a level of trust. There's a level of being with the community uh, in, in different ways. So as they're going to make this hijrah, they have amongst them, um, you know, none other than the daughter of the Prophet wasallam. So Uthman anhu and Ruqayya anha were uh, not just amongst those that migrated to Abyssinia, but they were the first family to uh, to go forth to migrate, to do the hijrah to Abyssinia, to make the hijrah to Abyssinia. And there's a narration, and though there's a weakness in, in the chain, uh, it is, it's, a, it's a powerful, beautiful narration that Uthman anhu is the first one to do hijrah, the first to migrate with his family for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after Nabi Lut alayhi salam. So he's the first one to make the hijrah with his family for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Uthman anhu embarks on this journey to Abyssinia along with uh, Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, and we'll talk about Abyssinia, inshallah ta'ala, probably in the episode about Ja'far ibn Abi Talib and some of what would transpire there in Abyssinia. So he doesn't spend much time with the Prophet in Mecca. Um, he spends time there in Abyssinia. And you, you don't really start to see the story of Uthman anhu in Islam unfold uh, until you get to Medina. So, he was amongst those that made hijrah both to Abyssinia and to Medina. Uthman anhu makes his way to Medina with Ruqayya and now their son, Abdullah. So Allah has blessed them with a child and they named their son Abdullah. And as Uthman anhu got to Medina, the Prophet wasallam, he paired him off with Abu Talha ibn Thabit. Uthman being one of the uh, wealthier people of Mecca who took his trade with him, who succeeded in his trade even in Abyssinia, who managed to hold on to some of his wealth. 
um, you know, did not need uh, uh, much help. And so it was only a short amount of time that Uthman was able to purchase his own home and was able to make his way into the marketplace in Medina and continue with the trends that he was known for of building up his, his, his business and, and being able to spend that fortune for noble things. So Uthman he knew how to, to work in different types of markets. Some of the Muslims um, you know, were limited in their scope and what they could do. Uthman already had prior business relationships. He knew how to maneuver and how to work things in the best of ways. So he established himself quickly as a, uh, as a merchant in Medina. And Uthman had a reputation for his honesty in trade, making him a person that people wanted to do business with, right? And of course, that's the long route. And, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, were not known for that. They would take the short route and they would cheat. Uthman was known for his honesty in trade. And so people loved to work with Uthman. They had a prior relationship with him. They knew him. And so his character allowed him to flourish in that way as well. So then you find in Medina, as Uthman who settles with his family, with Ruqayya and with their son Abdullah, you find that any time the Prophet makes a call, any time the Prophet makes a call, and he attaches to it the reward of Al-Jannah, you find this man run forward to the Prophet and it's, it's really beautiful because the stories are countless in this regard. As we said, we can't get through all of them, especially when talking about a person like Rithman ibn Affan anhu. The first mawqif, the first uh, place that Rithman that shows this is when they get to Medina and the Muslims are having a hard time with their water supply because they don't own the wells of Medina. So especially those that have migrated uh, you know, they're not able to, to have access to water the way that other people are able to have access to water. So there is this particular well of Ruma. And the Prophet said, Man Ruma Jannah, that whoever buys the well of Ruma, I will guarantee Jannah. I will guarantee Jannah uh, for that person. Ruma was owned by a man from Banu Ghifar and he didn't want to sell it. Okay, why? Because you know, he had a monopoly on it. He was able to make use of it. And, you know, the people needed water. So at the end of the day, even though he's charging high amounts of money for the people, they're still paying him. So he's getting wealthy off of uh, off of that well. So Uthman anhu, hearing the Prophet wasallam say that whoever purchase it, purchases it uh, will have Jannah. Uthman anhu goes to him and he says, listen, what's the price of this well? So he told them 40,000 uh, dirhams. So he said, look, what if I buy half of the well? Um, how much would you sell it to me for? He said 20,000. Now, what is half of the well? Does that mean literally half of the well? No, what it means is one day for you, one day for me. One day for you, one day for me. So he told them, okay, fine. You know, you can, he negotiated because he's a smart businessman with the Allah Ta'ala Anhu and he's making the most of the situation. Uthman with the Allah Ta'ala Anhu. Uh, agrees to you know to, to purchase one day uh, of the well, so you know uh, half of the well, and that they would alternate days, alternate days, and uh, he gives him twenty thousand uh, for that. Now, what ends up happening is that Uthman who then tells the people of Medina, especially the muhajirun who 
you know, had a hard time getting water, that on his day, the water from the well is free. <laughs> it's a waqf. It's an endowment, so you can come and take as much water as you want. So what does that do to the other man? Uh, the owner who had set this ridiculous price uh, for the well in the first place? Everyone would come on the day of Uthman, they would fill their, their jugs, they take all the water that they need, and so he wasn't able to make any money uh, from the other day. So it backfired. Uh, the, the high price that he set backfired. So he goes to Uthman anhu at that point, and he says, look, you want to buy the other day now as well? How about, you know, you just go ahead and buy the other day? So Uthman anhu says, you know, look, what use do I have for it for the other day if everything is working out on my day, if, if, if you know, the people are able to benefit from it on my day? So he negotiates him down to half the price, half the price uh, for the second day uh, to, to have complete ownership of the well. And, uh, you know, in that, subhanAllah, you have from this well, from this bi'r that Uthman who purchased, a guarantee, one of the multiple guarantees that the Prophet would give of Jannah to Uthman Not only that, but until this day, until this day, that well has, uh, you know, has produced gardens. Has pr- it's it's a waqf. It's an endowment to the Muslims. Till that day, the bank account from that well, which has irrigated gardens throughout Medina, has been used to, uh, you know, to increase more awqaf, more endowments for the Muslims. And there's still a bank account, in fact, from that particular well that has built some of the hotels in Medina. And all of the money then goes back to being circulated towards charity. And subhanAllah, there's, there's uh, you know, the, the amounts that you find in, in what is known as the waqf of Uthman anhu from that well, they, they vary, but, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that Uthman anhu is still getting the ajr from today as he made that initial, uh, you know, that initial stand with the Prophet So he purchased his place in Jannah as the Prophet mentioned. And at the same time, until today, the sadaqah of Uthman anhu is working. The sadaqah jari of Uthman anhu is at work and people are benefiting from that initial uh, jump to, uh, to respond to the call of the Prophet The Prophet comes out again another day and he says, you know, who's going to buy the land of so-and-so near the masjid? Uh, so they can increase that in, uh, you know, add that space to the masjid. They can expand that space for the masjid in return for something good for that person in Jannah. Uthman says, Ya Rasulullah, I've got it. How much is it going to be? Um, 20,000 dirhams. Uthman purchases that land, 20,000 dirhams. And that's where the masjid is expanded. So he financed the expansion of the masjid immediately when the Prophet said so. And the Prophet said that that person will be rewarded with something better in Al-Jannah. The Prophet said that whoever frees a slave, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would free the entirety of their bodies from the fire. So the Prophet when he talked about the freeing of the slaves and he said it's a protection from the fire. Uthman from the day he heard that narration, or he heard the Prophet say that, until the day where he could no longer do so, the day of his death for all the years was known that every Yomul Jum'ah, every Friday, he would take some of his wealth and he would purchase the freedom of multiple slaves. 
And they say that, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, we don't know how many people, that if you were to count how many people were freed from slavery through the donations, through the charity of Uthman anhu, we would not be able to count all of the people that Uthman anhu freed. So this was not just some initial action, but it became the habit of Uthman anhu to purchase the freedom of those that were enslaved. And then you have Tabuk, uh, what's known as Jesh al-Usra, uh, the you know th this difficult expedition of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the Prophet sallallahu he says, "Who will finance this expedition, this army?" And they have Jannah. Uthman who hears the Prophet sallallahu say this. Uthman who stands up and he says, "Ya Rasulullah, a hundred camels, uh, fully uh, equipped for this journey." And the Sahaba are looking at Uthman anhu like, "This is amazing." The Prophet sallallahu calls out again. And he says, who will finance and support this expedition? Uthman who stands up and he says, Ya Rasulullah, another 100 camels. So this is the fundraiser that's taking place with the Prophet and the companions of the Prophet He says, who, you know, who's going to finance the expedition? Uthman who stands up again, 100 camels, Ya Rasulullah, uh, for this cause. Until Uthman had donated at the end of this all, 940 camels and 60 horses all fully equipped for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tabuk. SubhanAllah, when you have Allah talking about the munafiqoon, the hypocrites that held back, Uthman radiallahu anhu is the complete opposite of that, giving all that he could so that when the Prophet asks, the Prophet is responded to. And then the Prophet goes home, I mean, Uthman radiallahu anhu goes home and he grabs all the dirhams that he can and he comes uh, after equipping the army of the Prophet ﷺ, he comes and he starts to place the, the dirhams, these thousands of dinars and dirhams, gold coins in the lap of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, he picks up these things and look at what he says alayhi salatu wasalam. He says, مَا ضَرَّ عُثْمَان Nothing can harm Uthman after what he has done today. Nothing can harm Uthman after what he has done today. We talk about the firsts and you know the quality of jumping at the opportunity. It's a small window sometimes that Allah presents you with an opportunity. And Uthman has taken advantage عنه, of that opportunity multiple times, multiple times. And the Prophet is saying, nothing, nothing can harm Uthman عنه, after today. And so this becomes the quality of Uthman Anytime the Prophet asks or Uthman anhu comes forward to support the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in these moments. And subhanAllah, you know, this is this also shows you that some of the Sahaba contributed in different ways. Uthman anhu is not known as a man of the battlefield. But subhanAllah, look at what he was able to do for the Prophet. Look at how he was able to come forth for the Prophet. Now he would um, uh, witness all of the battles of the Prophet ﷺ, except for one in particular. And it's a very unique uh, story to be told about Uthman in this battle. This was the battle of Badr. How is it that Uthman who accepted Islam as the fourth male who went out to Abyssinia, who migrated to Medina, who went through all of this alongside the Prophet How is it that Uthman would not attend Badr? The story of that is that Ruqayya 
radiyallahu ta'ala anha uh, became sick and she was so sick that when Uthman radiyallahu ta'ala anhu went out, Uthman who loves his wife dearly, when Uthman radiyallahu anhu would go out, the Prophet gave him permission to stay back and to care for Ruqayya. So he stays back, he cares for Ruqayya radiyallahu ta'ala anha, and he watches Ruqayya die before his eyes. His young wife, the mother of his child, die before his eyes. And this was crushing to Uthman radiyallahu anhu. And subhanAllah, it, 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 you know, truly a person like Uthman who gives his heart to the people that he loves, right? I mean, again, all the nobility, the way that this, this couple became this model couple, not in physical appearance, no, this model couple, the love that they had for one another, the ihsan, the excellence that he showed to Ruqayya And that's why the day of Badr, the victory of Badr was known as the day of great joy and the day of great sadness. Right? Because on the same day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the good news of the victory of the Muslims over the mushrikeen in Badr, where they were expected to be wiped out, is the same day that Allah took the daughter of the Prophet back to him and the wife of Uthman ibn Affan back. And the Prophet you know, he, he, he knew uh, how badly Uthman wanted to be with the Prophet ﷺ. And so, you know, this is a, a very special manifestation as well as in, of innamal a'malu bin niyat, that verily actions are but by intentions. We know that the veterans of Badr have a special place in Islam. Uthman anhu was given all of, the, uh, all of the reward of being from the veterans of Badr. He was considered by the Prophet ﷺ to be from the veterans of Badr, even though he did not physically attend because he had the intention and the Prophet ﷺ told him instead that he could stay home and he could care for his wife uh, and the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Ruqayya So this tragedy strikes Uthman and it leaves Uthman in a very difficult place. And this is where you see some of the human side of the Sahaba as well. Uh, a man like Uthman who loved so intensely, who loved so intensely, that subhanAllah, after Ruqayya passed away, uh, his son Abdullah, his baby boy, also would pass away, um, you know, shortly after, uh, when he was pecked in the face by some sort of a bird or a rooster, and he had an infection near his eye. The infection spread until it covered the whole face of Abdullah. So it was a very difficult uh, infection. And his face swelled up until he stopped breathing only at the age of six years old. So Uthman anhu has now lost his wife and he's lost his son, Abdullah, his six-year-old son, Abdullah. His wife, who was the daughter of the Prophet his son, Abdullah, who was the grandson of Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Rasulullah and now that's gone too. So you can imagine the great sadness of Uthman anhu. And he visibly changed. He became very sad. He he did not look the same. Uh, his you know his his devastation was noticeable. And the Prophet ﷺ cares about Uthman and he loves Uthman So he goes to Uthman and he asks him. He says, "What's wrong? What's what's keeping you so down?" And he knows the answer, but this is his way of consoling Uthman going to talk to Uthman 
So he says to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, it's the death of Ruqayya and something else. The Prophet ﷺ said, what is the something else? Now, if it's, you know, this could be many different things, right? The something else could be something quantifiable that maybe the Prophet ﷺ can do for him, right? So what is the something else? He says, Ya Rasulullah, in sayri wa qurbi minka bimawtiha. He said, O Messenger of Allah, my connection to you, my closeness to you has been severed by her death as well. So I'm not just grieving the death of Ruqayya and the, the loss of that family. I'm grieving my loss of a connection to you in that sense, right? He got to be the son-in-law of the Prophet SubhanAllah, because of that, or rather what Allah had decreed for this special man that no other person would be decreed, is that Jibreel comes to the Prophet and tells him to marry Umm Kulthum, his next daughter, to Uthman anhu. But not just that, uh, with a similar mahar, uh, uh, with a similar dowry, and ala mithli suhbatiha, with the same type of kindness and love that she used to treat Ruqayya, subhanAllah, with similar kindness. Because his love and his treatment of Ruqayya was exemplary. And so Jibreel comes to the Prophet and says to marry Uthman anhu to Umm Kulthum with the same mahar and upon the same type of kindness, the same character that Uthman anhu was known for in the way that he would treat his wife uh, Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha. And this is why you have the nickname the Nurain, the possessor of two lights, because there is no person who would have the honor, the distinction of marrying not just one, but two daughters of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There's actually a, a, a very uh, beautiful and funny story about this with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, where Umar radiallahu anhu went out and he wanted to marry his daughter Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha to someone noble. So he was being a good dad. He was going out looking for a suitor. So he, who did he go to first? He went to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And he told Abu Bakr that he wants to marry his daughter to, you know, he, he, he asked Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu if he'd be interested in Hafsa. And the Prophet, I'm sorry, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu told him, you know, let me think about it. Come back and meet me at this time. And Abu Bakr anhu did not uh, meet him again. He basically avoided seeing Umar al-Khattab again. So Umar was upset, okay, with Abu Bakr. Then he goes to Uthman anhu to ask Uthman if he wants to marry Hafsa anha. And Uthman anhu, he told Umar to come back uh, another time and to meet him. So Umar anhu came back and he found Uthman anhu in Salah. Uthman did not want to tell Umar, no, so what did he do? He prolonged his salah. He prolonged his prayer until Umar anhu got tired of it and left. And Umar got a hint, got a message that, wow, both my companions, both my friends, Abu Bakr and Uthman are treating me this way. So who does he go to to complain? He goes to the Prophet And he says to the Prophet you know how upset he is with Abu Bakr and Uthman, what happened to my friends, to my companions? You know, they could have been honest with me. They could have told me no. And the Prophet says to Umar that your daughter Hafsa will marry someone better than Uthman and Uthman will marry someone better than your daughter. What was the Prophet talking about? 
the Prophet was better than Uthman. He would marry Hafsa and Uthman would marry someone better than your daughter being Umm Kulthum, the daughter of the Prophet And then you find that Abu Bakr and Uthman came to Umar and they told Umar that we hope you were not upset or we know you were upset, but the reason why we did not just outright say it is because the Prophet had mentioned Hafsa and we didn't want to disclose that secret of the Prophet to you. SubhanAllah, years go on and Umm Kulthum also would pass away in the lifetime of both the Prophet and Uthman and you find some of the sad narrations just like the Prophet had to bury uh, Ruqayya and, and Zainab and here you have the Prophet also the narrations of him sitting at the graveside of his daughter Umm Kulthum and, and weeping as he bids farewell to his daughter uh, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, six of seven children that he would bury in his own lifetime Alayhi Salatu Wasallam and he sees the sadness of Uthman I mean Uthman now think about this devastation right he married Ruqayya and lost her he married Umm Kurthum and lost her so he has married and lost two daughters of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the lifetime of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and what does the Prophet say to Uthman when he sees him sad? He says, Wallahi, Uthman, if we had a third, we would marry her to you. If there was any other daughters left, we would keep on marrying these our daughters to you. They would die one after the other. And SubhanAllah, he's such a noble person. He's so beloved to the Prophet that we continue to marry our daughters to you um, because of the position that he has. Inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to go ahead and stop there and uh, we will continue. We'll do one more inshallah ta'ala, halaqan Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, speaking about some more of his qualities and contributions. Again, not necessarily going through the seerah of Uthman, but really talking about some more of those qualities that uh, sometimes go underestimated when we're talking about the story of this man radiallahu ta'ala anhu. May Allah be pleased with him and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send his peace and blessings upon our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his family and companions, Allahumma ameen, jazakumullahu khayran, wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.